Bereshit, Bera, Elohim, Et, Hashimayim, Va'et, Ha'eretz. Bereshit, Bera, Elohim, Et, Hashimayim, Va'et, Ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, this is the word of the Lord. Well, amen. <clears throat> Man, I got something in my throat, excuse me. Well, good morning. Good to see you. You can be opening your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 6. Uh, we're picking up. I'm going back, catching a few verses because there's something really big in there that I missed. Um, I was reading a sermon about this general passage and uh, a man named Jeff Thomas. I'm going to steal from him, so I always like to tell you where I steal from when I do uh, because uh, he's the one who wrote it and not me. But, uh, but I got the ideas from him. I'm not going to quote him verbatim, but I got the ideas from him. There's a huge thing here. Today we're calling today's sermon The Verdict of God. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I talk to people, and it happens to me too sometimes, you read the Old Testament and you see uh, God telling the Israelites, for instance, as they con uh, have conquests of the land, not to leave any human being alive. And it seems very vicious and very cruel. And, and, and when we think about the flood, there, of course, there's a ton of people, even in church, that, oh, there wasn't really a worldwide flood that covered the entire earth. And the Bible says that it covered three miles, I believe, above the highest mountain. And uh, that's been proven. We'll talk about that later. But not today, but later in this series. But, but as we read that, we say, why would God want to kill everybody on earth? I mean, were we really that bad, you know? Uh, as a kid, sometimes you might get in trouble with your parents. And if you had parents like me, they liked to wash the, that crime out of me. And that was back in the old days when they did laundry by beating it on a rock. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so they kind of got my attention that way. And, and uh, sometimes, but as a kid, you're going, oh, I don't deserve that. You know, I was it that bad. It wasn't that bad. And we think that way. And yet, we're going to read a passage here today. And, and I'll pause a little bit uh, on it where we see just how bad we really are. And so God destroys the world by water. We're not even going to get to the flood today. That's still coming. We're not even going to build the ark today. We're just going to uh, talk about how they built it a, a little bit. Well, I guess we will build it. But um, here's something I want you to take home with you today. And that is that righteousness is found in the heart that results in obedience. You have to already have obedience in your heart to be declared righteous by God. That is, we just sang a song, Lord, give me a heart abandoned. And, and I'm going to come back to that idea in just a, a moment. But, but there's the idea. It's that our hearts are not abandoned to God. What does that mean, to be abandoned? Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, uh, and, and by the way, I've gone totally off what I was, was going to start this sermon. But, uh, but when I was a kid, I had a friend that raced motocross uh, motorcycles. And he's still my friend. I still have him as a friend. And hopefully he'll visit us uh, this summer one day to help us out a little bit. But, uh, but he told me the only way to win at motocross motorcycle racing is to be totally abandoned to the bike. In other words, you have to not think about any injury you might get if you wreck because it is so easy to wreck. He says you have to drive with utter abandon. That's when I kind of first heard that word, that term. A, a, a professional athlete plays 
his sport with utter abandon. That is, he, he does not even think about what might happen to his body. He throws himself in it. To be abandoned to God means that all of our motivations, all of our thinking, all, all that we do is because of his will and what he wants us to do. So when you understand it that way, you realize that I would dare say, I, I don't want to judge you, I'll judge me. I know I'm not that utterly abandoned. And I, I would just guess that none of us are when we, when we really understand what that means. I'm not saying that you don't love the Lord and aren't abandoned to him. But, but God has made a verdict on man here in Genesis chapter 5 and 6. And we're starting uh, in chapter 6. And I'm starting in verse 5 today. And let me just read a couple of verses for you. Let's stand back up. We don't read all of them. Because there are a lot of details about the ark in here. We'll just brush onto those because they're not 100% necessary. But um, it says that in verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what it contains, that it it gives us everything we need for life and help. And so I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would open our eyes, open our understanding. May we behold wonderful things out of your word. And seeing your will for your people that we will obey. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all, y'all can sit down. There really is no need for God to tell us anything if we aren't going to obey it. There's no reason for God to let us in on anything if we don't intend to obey. Why would God tell us something that, and that, that he didn't intend for us to do? And so some people never hear a word from God out of Scripture because you're not going to do anything with it anyway. It's like, like the preacher went to a new church and he preached his sermon and everybody's like, man, we love this new preacher. That was a great sermon. Next week he preached the same sermon. They said, well, you know, he just moved in, doesn't have much time to, to study, so maybe he just had to recycle that one. And then the third week he preached it again. And they were starting to scratch their heads and say, man, this guy only got one sermon. And so when it happened again the fourth week, somebody finally went to him and said, preacher, why do you keep preaching the same sermon over and over? He said, well, when you do that one, I'll go on to a new one. That's sort of how I feel, how God, when he talks to us, is he tells us stuff. We go, oh, that was great. That was wonderful. It was beautiful. And we walk away. Francis Chan uh, told it to us this way. He, he said, what if I, I came home and uh, I told my daughter before I left the house, you need to clean your room. And I come home and her room's a mess. And I call her in and say, honey, why haven't you cleaned your room? And she said, oh, dad, that word from you was just wonderful. I mean, my room is a mess. And I realized He's right. This room is a mess, and I need to clean it. What an encouraging, strong word. In fact, it is so good. I called all my girlfriends, and we got together, and we studied. What does it mean to clean your room? We could define every word. It's just such a captivating idea. And, and we're calling all our friends. We're going to start a club. We call it the Room Cleaning Club. He said, but she never cleaned a room. That's how we do the Bible. We get together. We talk about what it means, but we never obey it. But see, man has a problem. Man has a real problem, and it's contained right there in verse 5 of chapter 6. And, and again, I get the, these thoughts from, um, from Jeff Thomas. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart 
was, were, was only evil continually. I'm going to add a verse to that in just a minute. But I want you to see how wicked our heart is. Uh, a few, uh, about a month or two now, uh, we were doing a, sun, a limited series on Sunday night, just taking different topics. And I was given the topic to talk about Calvinism and just explain what it means. A lot of people are confused about that. Uh, m- most Orthodox Christianity and, and all of history uh, uh, believe that way. But somebody took all these teachings and, and condensed them to like five points. There's more to it than that. But the first point in that is called total depravity. It means that man is incapable of doing good. And there, not everybody believes that. Uh, Father Flanagan believed there was good in every little boy. Well, he was wrong. <laughs> There's not. Okay? Some people believe, oh, well, we, we, we are good. And, and it would take us being good to want to receive God. And that's our real big problem. That's why it's the foundational idea. It's because we're not good enough to even want God. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. There's none that seek after God, none that go after him. God has to put the desire for himself in us for us to ever want him. And so this verse describes, and I want you to catch this. Here's the definition of that term, total depravity. First of all, notice the intensity of, of the depravity. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I mean, he didn't say, well, people weren't doing so good. He's saying that their desire and their evil doing was great. It was huge. It, to quote our former president, it was huge. It was really big. It was, it was unbelievably great that man was wicked. You say, well, okay, I get that. Men, men generally are kind of bad. But notice this, the total of it the totality of it that it says the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every inclination it says in in my version or every intention of his thoughts were wicked catch that every every intention there's there's not a more penetrating term than that because that word means it's a root it's a rudimentary term it's it's below what Bill is built on. It is the roots of this idea. And, and what he's saying is, whatever you desire is rooted, or whatever you do or your intention is rooted in wickedness. You may not still be getting this. You say, yeah, well, somebody goes to do bad. He's got a bad, bad start in his heart. No, when you love your wife, you have an evil intention without Christ. When you go to... Bless your children. You have an evil intention without Christ. Whenever you go to feed the hungry, you have an evil intention without Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 tells you that. You can feed all the hungry and not have love for them. Right? Whenever you want to come to church, you have an evil intention in your heart to that. You say, what? It's selfish. Because, oh, I get a blessing. I get to see people. Oh, I'll, my wife will love me back. My kids will rise up and take care of me and not put me in Sunnydale. You know, what, whatever. That's a joke in our family, by the way. Sorry about that. It, he's saying the intention of the thought is evil. Not just the thought, not just the deed. The intention of it is evil. A man without Christ is selfish. We're turned inwardly. We all want what we want. We are like the little baby that only knows he's hungry and needs changing and he only knows to express it is by crying because all he wants is food and somebody change that diaper. We never get out of that. 
without Christ. Jesus came and did not take but gave. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Everything he did was motivated by the will of God and nothing was selfish. It was all giving. It was not taking. It is, it, it is the movement of our thought is evil. And notice the inwardness of it, of the heart. Now, we say of the heart. That's why it's translated that way. They would have said of the kidneys because that's where they thought the emotion was coming from. But hey, uh, we know that it's not actually my beating heart. He's, he's using, we use that term to mean what is inside of us, what can communicate with God. And this, this is an unparalleled description in the Bible. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart uh, was only evil continually. It, it means, it emphasizes this, again, this inwardness of the wickedness. It, 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 it comes from us. It comes out of us. James says that we lust and desire and it leads to sin. And so many times people have messed up, get in trouble, whatever, and they, they, if they're, I'm talking to them, I've had so many say, I don't know why I did it. And I always ask them, do you want me to tell you why you did it? Because I know why you did it. Yeah, sure. I said, because you wanted to. That's what this verse is telling us, that our hearts desire that evil. And notice the exclusiveness of it, only evil. <laughs> it doesn't say that the, the inclination of the hearts of man occasionally are good. It says it's only evil. So just in case you thought I was making that up, you see that I am not. It is only evil. And notice the constancy of it. Continually. Continually. You never get a break from it. If you're sleeping, if you're awake. If you're driving, if you're eating, if you're working, if you're playing, if you're sitting down, if you're reading, if you're watching. The intentions of your heart are only evil. 24-7, seven days a week. 365 days a year, and 366 on leap year. It is never not evil. But I want you to see one other thing. Turn one page, or at least in my Bible's one page, to chapter 8 and verse 21. Noah's built an altar, and he offers a sacrifice in verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Those wonderful, innocent little babies in the nursery, they are not so innocent. You say, come on, pastor. Okay, let me give you another verse. Psalm 58, 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. God says that we are conceived in wickedness in Psalm 139. That at the moment we are knit together in our mother's womb, when that first cell begins to divide, we have wickedness inherent in that person. The only answer to that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he paid for us being sin, not for our sinful acts. He did pay for those. Let me not misstate that. Jesus paid for all forms of sin. But what he died for was to radically change who I am from the inside. And that's why 1 Corinthians 
tells us that when, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And that word is a new creation. Something brand new. Something that hasn't existed before. I, I just want you to think about this. God looks down into our human spirit. He peers into our mind. And he examines the thoughts of mankind. And he looks into the operation of our human intelligence. He looks into the conviction uh, of men that men held. He looks in the way man reasons and his processes. And he looks at our imaginations. He looks at our life of desire and aspiration. And of, of his determinations and purpose. He looks at his ambitions and his motivation. He looks at his knowledge and his joys, his sorrows, his ecstasies, his depression. He looks into the very foundation of activities, right? The depth of his unconscious life and we are told here that down in that basic place in the root of man's existence God only saw evil all the time and you say man that's bad news I came here to feel good I am not Joel Osteen because he's missed something we are not having our best life now we're having our worst life now if you're a believer if you're having your best life, you need to get saved because you're going to hell. Because heaven going to be a whole lot better than today. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. So what I want you to understand is you need deliverance from that evil heart. You need something to, to change you, to, to put to death that old nature, that old man, and give you a brand new nature, the nature of Christ in you, to get, take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. God wants to write his law on your heart. I just, just this week, we, we were reading of Moses coming off the mountain and breaking the Ten Commandments. And then God, gave, God told him to cut out some new stones. But then God wrote them again with his finger. But the Bible tells us later, prophet said, God wants to take that heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh and write his word on your heart. And so God writes his will in the heart of the believer when the Holy Spirit comes to live with us. Once we surrender our lives to Christ, we give up every desire, every ambition. We give up every, uh, what we think of as a right to choose. We turn that over to God and then let him choose for us. Listen, God reserves the best to leave the choices up to him. That's a quote from Hudson Taylor. Great, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. And so the Bible tells us in this passage back in Genesis 6 that God was sorry he made man. That God said, I'm going to blot men out. I'm going to take them off the face of the earth. But God, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to notice something about that verse. Before verse 8 of chapter 6, what had Noah done? We don't know because the Bible doesn't say. Now, I, again, an argument from silence is not a strong argument. But I think God did it that way for a point. He found favor before he ever did anything. Because he's most famous for building an ark. When it had never rained. As far as we know, he didn't even live near war. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But it was, it was a long way to get that. I mean, he didn't have a lake big enough to put that boat in, I can tell you. And you're going to find out later, it was a pretty big boat. But he found favor in God's eyes. Why? Why? Because God does not judge as man does. God knew that in Noah's heart was obedience. That's why what I want you to take home is that, if, that we need a heart of obedience. That righteousness is found in the heart that will obey. It results in obedience. And so the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord 
And because he knew that Noah would obey. Noah had that kind of heart. And so there's no act recorded, but he is blameless. Look at verse 9. This is the generations of Noah. He was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Nobody in Noah's life could point to him and say, hey, you messed up right there. He was blameless. Not saying he didn't mess up. He was born with the same evil heart everybody around him was born with. Yet he found grace in God's eyes and he had not done any evil. He was blameless in his generation. And notice this, and Noah walked with God. God only says that about two people in the Old Testament at least. Enoch and Noah. He walked with God. Other people can know about God. Other people can hear God. But this term, again, is a very intimate term. Noah is walking with God. He's an intimate communication with the Lord God. That's why he's so willing to build a boat. It's not like he's just hanging out going, oh, doop de doop de doop going to work today. And then God just shows up. Boom. Hey, man, I want you to build an ark. That's, it, it, that's how we think of it. Like, out of the blue. But he walked with God. He is seeing things from God's perspective because he's walking with God. Listen, if you're not shook about the news today, you, you, you're not thinking spiritually. We are, we are headed into what is very possibly the tribulation. Now, you say, that's an overstatement. I don't have time to go into that. It's not about the second coming. This is about a punishment that does lead us to the second coming later. We'll talk about it later. But... Friend, we, we are headed that way. Now, I'm not saying that just because America's messing up. Because there have been many nations that thought they would never fall that have fallen. We're just going to be the next one. But friend, it, it could be because there are so many other signs of his coming. And, and if that's true, we're heading into some real trouble. We're heading to some real bad stuff. You better be walking with God. You better know God before the trouble comes. No soldier waits to clean his gun and learn how to shoot it. No, no soldier waits until the war starts to do that. He gets ready before he ever has to go to battle. You better be getting ready now. We are in a battle now. We are already there. It is time for us to stand up for God and speak out for God. Because if you're not in the habit of doing it, when they stick a gun to your head or threaten to take away your livelihood or your life or your job as they've done for Christians in, in America already, we, we've done that for generations, really then you're not going to do it when the trouble comes if you're not already doing it now. But Noah would, would respond, and he walked with God, and then God says, I'm going to start over with Noah. God saw the earth, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God is saying, not only is man, we, all flesh has been corrupted by sin. And so, in verse 14, God begins to instruct Noah. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Probably cypress, by the way. <clears throat> We're not real sure. Uh, make rooms in the ark, covered inside and out with pitch. This how, that's asphalt. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. A cubit's 18 inches. You do the math, but I'll tell you anyway. 450 feet, one and a half football fields long. All right? 50 cubits is going to be how wide it is. That's 75 feet. Just take the number, divide it in half, and add it back in. And its height, 30 cubits, 45 feet tall. And then he says, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it a lower second and third decks because I'm going to bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life is the breath of life under heaven. Everything on this earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. What is that covenant? I'm going to save you in the ark. 
You've got to be in the ark to be saved. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons, wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They'll be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come with you to keep them alive. Take every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did all this that the Lord had commanded him. God commands him to build an ark. He gives him the dimensions, the size. And, and you're going to hear people say this and, and think this. It says, in fact, somebody's even hit me with this recently. There is this big, long tale they found called the Epic of Gilgamesh. And, and it predates Moses' writings, supposedly. And so they say, see, the, ark, the, the story of the flood was just stolen from that. They just made it up from that. Well, there's a problem. Number one, it's one line in the Epic of Gilgamesh. There was a flood on the earth. I mean, it's like not the point of the whole thing anyway. The point of this story is to tell you about the flood. Number two, Gilgamesh said that men lived tens of thousands of years, not just a thousand. So it's a weird story to start with. Babylon had also had a flood story. Their ark was much larger than this one. It's, it's just ridiculously large. And it, the way it was described to be built, it wouldn't float. Men still build boats to these dimensions. This is the most stable dimensions you can, of which you can make a boat to stay upright and float. In case you don't know, in our Coast Guard, every ship the Coast Guard uses can flip upside down the water and it will self-right itself. Did you know that? And so when you become a coastie and you ride on a boat, they take you out in big surf and hang you out and then turn that sucker over just, just to show you it's going to turn back up. I don't want to join the Coast Guard anymore. Um, anyway, that would freak me out. You, you can look those up on YouTube. It's some amazing pictures of that. But God says, I'm going to start with Noah. And he gives these dimensions, get three decks. And, and they've got the ark experience out there. I think it's in Kentucky now. And you can go and see how big it is. It's huge. Every, the, the kind of every animal alive then is going to be on that. And they're all going to survive. They're all air breathers. God's going to establish this covenant. And then he tells him who's going to get a ticket. <laughs> you and your wife, your sons and their wives, and two animals of every kind. We're going to learn later it's not actually just two animals of every kind. Every clean animal, seven of those come on. But two of every animal in general is on the ark. But here's the most important verse for us today. Besides what I was talking about earlier. Verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Now, much has been made of this. I, I don't see any reference so far. We may come across it. Where men mock him, you know... I'm sure that they did, and the New Testament talks about he did this not never seeing rain. He builds an ark. God says, water's going to fall out of the sky. That, it, it sounds like chicken little. You know, somebody came and told you nuclear bombs are falling out of the sky. You go, right, sure they are. Well, it's equivalent. It is happening. The only warning people have is Noah. The Bible says for 300 years he preached as he was building this boat. By the way, the Titanic was built by professionals. The ark was built by an amateur. Guess which one survived? Anyway, but it says Noah did this. He did all that he was commanded. 
Not only did he obey, he obeyed with a whole heart. There's the point. That's why Noah found grace. Man is evil, and it takes God to renew our heart. God worked in Noah's heart. He created Noah for this purpose because he wants to give us this, this idea. I, I, so much I want to say about the flood. We'll get there later. I'll probably do five sermons on that one. Just a joke. But, but Noah did what God said. And not only did he do it, he did everything God said. He built this huge boat to the exact dimensions that God called for. And it survives a worldwide flood where they believe the highest mountain is covered with water. And there is proof of that physically, by the way. So here, here's the question I have for you. Do you walk with God? You know, in Noah's day, when, when, when you understand what I've said and read this passage, God could have worked in somebody else's heart. God could have touched their heart and made them differently. But, he, but Noah was saved. And, and we can go down that road, but if we do, you'll be, number one, you, you get confused because nobody can understand all the purposes of God. Number two, you'll be worrying about the wrong thing. Here's what you need to be worrying about. What is God saying to you? Are you walking with God? And if you realize you're not and you want to, guess what that is? That's God talking to you. That's God communicating in your inside of you saying that's what you need that is exactly what you need that you need the Lord and so you need to evaluate what we call our heart it's that spirit in us that works with God what is God putting in there are you confident are you assured that you're walking with God because the Bible says our heart is is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it and then it says, God tests the hearts. God knows what we are like inside. And God can touch your heart. God can change your mind. And if you don't want God, then you ought to be in fear today. When you don't want to repent, when you don't want to turn back, when you don't want to get right with God. We had Valerie come up and talk about the walk, walk for life. and uh, you, you Stride for life, they call it. I think there's another one, walk for life, so that it's got a little different word. And, and, and you can donate, you can donate to somebody who is going to walk, you can walk and get people to donate to you, and, and, and all that is, is, is wonderful, but if, our, if we don't change men's hearts, something, there, there, there's no hope of heaven. I like to watch people who do this. I, I've watched this, this one preacher, and I think he's in, in, in Las Vegas, uh, Apologia Studios is, is what they're called, Apologia.com. They have a lot of good stuff out there. This guy was the live-action Ninja Turtle, one of those guys. And he, he was a world champion at all of that, and God got a hold of his life after he really messed up and saved him, and now he's a pastor. And, he's, and, and there's videos of him talking to women going into abortion clinics, and really it's people that drive up and yell at him because he is talking to women, not the women going in. And he will communicate to them the truth of that whole issue, and he'll communicate to them the gospel, and they'll be yelling, and the whole time all he says is, well, I'm praying for you, and I hope that you'll repent of the evil that you're doing. And he doesn't do it with anger or yelling, but, but we, you know, that's just not a, our culture, is it, down where we live? We're nice to everybody. We don't walk up to people and say, do you know the Lord? And they say, no. They say, well, I hope you repent and get to know him because you're going to hell if you don't. 
And I'm praying you'll repent. You need to turn away from your sin. It's that simple, but that, that's what we need to be thinking. It's what we need to be communicating. And you need to do that first with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Your heart will fool you. Your heart will deceive you. Now I won't give examples of that because sometimes we're too close to home for all of us. Have you accepted God's covenant of grace? Has God offered to you that I will save you, I'll do all the work because I love you, and you've turned him down? Again, if you want God in your life, that's God speaking to you. Do not ignore him. And then lastly, I'd say that you need to determine how you've been obedient or find out where God wants you to obey him. Have you been obedient to what God said? The, God knew Noah was righteous before Noah knew he was righteous. But Noah walked with God, and God let him know what to do, and Noah did it. And he did all that God told him to do. He did it the way God told him to do it. We're always trying to improve on God. I mean, all, most churches are guilty of this. We try to, how, how can we fancy it up? How can we, you know, that's even a term. Don't church it up. We try to church it up, right? Listen, it, it's not complicated. It, it's not fancy. Man is desperately wicked and lost without God. And God provided a Savior, and this is a picture of the Savior that God's provide. Because were the guys in the ark in the storm? That was not rhetorical. Were, the, were, were Noah and his sons and wives in the storm? Were all the rest of the people on the earth in the storm? But only a few of them were on the ark. Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the ark. In fact, where his blood is, it's called the ark of the covenant. And if you're in the ark, you may be in the storm, and the storm may even kill you to walk away from the flood for a second. But it's okay because he's got a better place for you. But the only way you're going to survive is to be in Christ. And whether you are saved in the storm or from the storm, you still got to be saved by God. And that is the point of this, this whole idea that we see here. That man is so depraved, so even the, the motivation of his thoughts is evil. Only God can change that. You can't change that. Not enough psychology and will and self-will in the world to change that. That takes a, a transformational act of God for you. And what he has to do is kill who you were in Adam and raise up a new life, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you because Christ paid the price for God to dwell in you and to live with you. And so the New Testament says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, this is not a fun sermon. Uh, there's a lot here, but Lord, we, we, to understand your judgment and judgment to come, you, you're, going, you're going to destroy this earth again, but it's going to be a while. You, you laid out the timeline. We don't know when it starts, but we know from the start how long it's going to be before that happens. But the next time it's going to be with fire and you're going to make the world brand new. You're not, not just going to wash it clean. You're going to just start over. And thank you that those who know you are saved from that kind of destruction. We're saved from a, an eternity in hell. We are saved from uh, our own selves. If we will but listen to you and walk with you. 
Lord, I pray for every person who's listening, whether in this room or online somehow through Facebook or web or whatever. Maybe they're watching this a long time from the time we share it. But Lord, right now I ask in Jesus' name where they are that you would speak to their heart. Lord, we, we just pray that you would call out your people and they would not only receive you, but they would become totally abandoned. Lord, we think of, of Mr. Moody, who you used to lead two million people to the Lord. And as a young man, we are told that he heard a preacher say that the world is yet to see what one man totally surrendered or abandoned to God could do. And he cried out to you, Lord, I want to be that man. And just before he died, he said, the world has yet to see what one man totally surrendered can do. Lord, may you raise up that man from this congregation, from this people, from this city. But Lord, if not us, raise him up somewhere. Lord, we just, again, we're selfish. I'd, I'd like that to happen here. But Lord, we'd rather see it happen than it, than it be in any way accredited to us. Lord, we know you have a plan. We know you have a way. We know you're going to do something. But Lord, I just pray that you would raise up new Hudson Taylors, new D.L. Moody's, new Charles Spurgeon's, people who do not count their life dear to themselves, but rather give themselves wholly over to the will of God, the work of God, to try to save people from their sin. So Lord, help us today. And may it start in us, Lord. We need to be in right relationship with you. So whether we claim to know you or whether we don't know you, we pray that you'd work in our heart right now, that we would be drawn to you, that we would call out to you, that we would desire you above all things. As the psalmist said, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire beside you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you.